Welcome back to the Cognitive Bias Podcast. Last week, that, that tasty jam didn't make it into the recording. Uh, and now it made it in like seven times. So, you know, if the Cognitive Bias Podcast takes off, you can transmute all of those spicy followers into people to listen to your new SoundCloud for your like up and coming like hot mixtape. I don't know. How does this work? Where I, where I remix uh, uh, cheap to podcast license. jingles. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> all you do is podcast jingles. Stock podcast jingle jams. Uh, uh, nine out of ten would probably would probably subscribe to that. Um, all right. So so Kerp, last week we talked about normalcy bias part one, um, and we promised ourselves that we would we would dip into normalcy bias part two um, because we, this one is super yes. near and dear to our hearts. So the reason I bring up the production thing is to say that if you listened last week, you probably noticed that we didn't have our tasty jam at the beginning. And instead, it was just video of us dancing to nothing, which is perfect. Oh, no. And we'll leave it there. Wow, <laughs> or that's, that's we could redo part one, worse. but I don't think we should. Uh, no, we've already redone it once. All right. We're last week, on. we um, ended with the tease about your so what around normalcy bias, because I rambled on about preparedness and emergency something for a little while. But first, okay. we should reintroduce um, what it is for people who are not caught up in the, in the, in the canon as it were. Normalcy bias is a cognitive bias which leads people to disbelieve or minimize threat warnings. Consequently, individuals underestimate the likelihood of a disaster, when it might affect them, and its potential adverse effects. So what? I must I need, I need to read all the biases <laughs> like that in that voice now. Right. So so we like to we like to kick these off with the how how does spending this few minute with these two idiots make your life better kind of thing? And we, we do that in the, the form of the, so what, which is always so near and dear to our hearts. For me, the, the, so what a normalcy bias still is. If you know that normalcy bias is a thing and you're aware that you have this bug that makes you think that things that could be bad are either not going to happen, not going to happen to you. If they do happen to you, they're not going to be that bad. And if they're really bad and they happen to you, there's nothing that you could have done anyway to stop that. All of that is crap. And if you know normalcy bias and you know that all of that is crap, that gives us grounds to orient our behavior in ways that help us. And to help us help ourselves and help us help the people around us. And you talked about this as preparedness. And and I think that there's a big piece of that that echoes to me as the so what too. I don't think that the the folks who think the sky is falling are somehow beating normalcy bias. I think there's a lot of other explanations for that. But I think that the parts of us that say things like total biosphere collapse isn't that big of a problem or it sounds like it's too far away for me to care. The parts that say, um, I don't really need to worry about decarbonization because uh, it's not really going to matter that much and my contribution wouldn't really help that much no matter what. The parts of us that say, um, I don't really need to be worried about existential risk because um, that, that thing feels too big and too over there to care. Those parts we know to be demonstrably wrong. And there, there are ways where all of those things that are so big, they break our brain. There are ways to think about them. 
And the first is to acknowledge that they break our brain in this weird way. And once we've gotten over normalcy bias, this false belief that everything is fine, then we're prepared to, to figure out what happens next. And that I think is the, so what for me is that we, we were, we were born into an age of normalcy bias. It's kind of the only way to get through your day. And I'm not advocating for freak out, but I am advocating for people taking greater stands in being parts of solutions. And that's a, that's a big, so what? Do to what ex, to what extent do you think that behavior? Like, let's model this out in the context of a global pandemic, since that is close to everyone's hearts in yeah. modern times. Uh, That's never going to happen, right? Well, if it does happen, it's not that bad. Well, if it's bad, it's not going to happen to me. Well, there's nothing I could have done about it, right? Yeah, all of that's bullshit. So what, so, so what is it about? So when I try to think of the minds that are aligned or, you know, thought leaders, think boys, whatever you want to call them aligned around different takes on different conversations in the context of the pandemic, you've got like Bill Gates, who's been telling us this could happen for like 15 years now. And has really actively been like, this is one of the top five things that keeps me up at night, the notion of global pandemic. And then you have, what, Elon Musk on the other side with the sort of like, we couldn't have done anything about it anyway mindset, it feels like sometimes. Like, I think particularly in the case of the idea of the proliferation of a pandemic, do you think software and technology people were more predisposed to be able to punch through the normalcy bias because they've seen exponential growth work somewhere other than biology? Uh, where, where like biologists see exponential cell growth all the time and they go, that goes really fast once it's unchecked. We call it cancer. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Technology sort of behaves the same way. So I think a lot of tech people were able to see things like that and go, yep, that's not just, that's not a crazy, like you can look at the climate change curves and also go, this is also getting into the territory that like the growth factor is what breaks the human brain. You just can't get yeah. your a mechanism around the idea that it could double again. Yeah. I think I've become disillusioned to tech because I work in tech. And so I know it's 80% made of jabronis and like 20% made of really right. thoughtful people. <laughs> and the jabronis are of so many different flavors that like, you know, the kind of person who puts contrarian in their Twitter bio, it's like, come on, man, right. you're not fooling anyone. Um, <laughs> that's the most, that's the most like poorly adjusted normie thing to do. Um, and, and I, I don't want to like, I don't want to graft on the normalcy bias like benefits to them not only because i find them underdeserving because i think most things in tech don't actually take off exponentially within a tech worker's lifespan um and not in ways that they immediately viscerally connect to like we can think about global connectedness or the amount of people who have access to broadband for under a hundred dollars a month globally um, or the equivalent of such and so, yeah, that basically took off exponentially, but it also happened so in such fits and starts, and it took 20 years that even though the, an exponential curve defines it, 
it doesn't feel the same way as a doubling time of one week or two weeks. Right. Um, but I think you're right to point out to people who work in biology or epidemiology who are responsible for thinking in this, this way. And, and they're trained to look at a phenomenon that gets more intense quickly and continues to intensify and increases in its intensity at a more intense pace over time. Like they're used to thinking about these until an intervention is introduced in a lot of cases biologically. I think think that they're comfortable with it. I think first responders have this kind of brain. I think that for a lot of folks, there, there aren't a lot of things in our built environment that, that should work the way that the things do that trigger normalcy bias most things in your day-to-day aren't that bad in most people's. I don't, I, look, there's a lot of people suffering under a lot of blights, personal, environmental, political, economic, technosocial. But for, for, for the, the median person existing in the post-industrial world right now, there's an awful lot of folks whose day-to-day is, is largely defined by global economic stability and peace. And that's a good thing. And we want everyone to get there. We want to do everything we can to get everyone there. And for a lot of folks acute crises are are not a and again not everybody but acute crises are not a quotidian piece even in places that have like egregious food scarcity acute crises and the kinds that trigger normalcy bias are ones in which there are single solitary black swan ish large events looming and those are really infrequent at all sliding scales of the quality of life scale they're really rare and nothing in our in our daily life really has us primed to deal with that. You're primed to deal with assholes. You're primed to deal with different types of scarcity, different extents, small threats, large threats, insecurity of different sorts, but not things that are like existentially bad or things that only happen you know, once in a lifetime. Though I'm willing to bet, now that I'm thinking about it, that we get better at it. You know, Your life is largely going to be defined by once in a lifetime events. You will keep having them. Once in a lifetime events so far have made up most of your adult life. They just keep fucking happening. Maybe they we certainly will get have if you're 40. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm starting someone, someone roughly me, like, junior year and sophomore year in college was 9 11 for me. Yep. It's been yep. a nice, I, I saw nice. <laughs> so, well, someone, someone was tweeted, How come millennials are all so sad? It's like, dude, I watched planes fly into a building at age 11, then nothing ever got better. Which uh, like, you know, real big, real boy, big, like dab, sad boy aside, like there is a thing to saying, okay, are certain generations maybe more adept at normalcy bias and maybe more willing to be like, nope, one of the things is happening again. Everybody pay attention this time. Maybe, maybe there is a, a cultural psychological immune system that kicks in where if you have enough of these happen fast in a row, your, your Bayesian priors are like kind of primed for them. You're like, oh, Great. Another thing that totally disrupts global supply chains. All right. Well, we know how to do this from last time. And maybe you do get better at it. That'd be the hope, so to speak. So I guess like my most recent personal level associations with normalcy bias come from the neighborhood I'm actively in the process of moving out of, hence the nice molding in the background of a house that is not mine. Yes. Um, Where we once a year get evacuated because of wildfires. Um, And I mean that not in the context of like climate change. I mean, the context of having a a go bag prepared and, you know, thinking through what happens if we get evacuated again. And then also the pandemic where I was sort of ahead 
of most of my peer group in terms of being like, Ooh, this is real. I need to get some hand yep. sanitizer and some water yep. and some other stuff in case it's the worst possible version of this scenario. Yep. Uh, put me in a pretty good spot. I don't know why I think that way. Partially because of, I think what you were just saying, partially because of voice scoutness. Um, I'm curious from your personal standpoint, to what extent this is like a, a two-parter, maybe a three-parter. Cause I only got so much time left. Uh, it, like you must deal with this constantly in the context of AI responsibility because yeah. there's stuff happening in that space that if we're not watching it carefully hits this projection curve that most humans like, like this, this growth curve that most humans are predisposed to not take seriously. I'd say the only thing we have going for us in AI safety is this, the, the core memes of, well, the core memes of AI safety are good. The shell memes are fine and the spike protein memes kind of suck. But um, there's a few that are, are good and we've had them for decades. The, the problem is some of them are auto-generative of the very problem itself. Like Terminator is a problematic meme because Terminator as a meme may operate as a hyperstitional vehicle for causing Terminator itself to fucking happen. Because if it's the 90s and all you've got to go with as a stoned undergrad at Stanford are like horror films about like AI gone wrong. And that's the only narrative we have for what we do with synthetic intelligence. And then you just end up like, well, I guess I'm working in defense and lethal autonomous weapon systems. Cause that's where the jobs are at. Like part of that was a, was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, so that the memes suck, but in some ways the memes are helpful because I think people are, aware that there is a non-trivial chance that we end up in a civilization level ending bad outcome with synthetic intelligence within their lifetime. And a lot of them feel resigned to it and they feel like there's nothing they can do about it, which is that third, that fourth trap of if it's bad and it happens to me, there was nothing I could have done. There are lots of things we can do. And so from, from our perspective, thinking about this constantly, we push that one of the missing factors is photorealistic positive outcome oriented narratives that engineers and economists and politicians and normal folks can grab onto and run with and say, yeah, that, that was also an option. We do have other outcomes here. And in the act of embracing other future fictions about good outcome worlds, we break normalcy bias because we find that we're, we, we now have a compass and a map of how to get towards futures that don't suck. And when you have a compass and a map to get to futures that don't suck, you start building the patterns and the habits and the ideas and the incentives and the tools that you need to break normalcy bias and get down a pathway where things are more likely to go right than bad. That's how we think about it. This, this, this is maybe tangential, but it's a thing that I've been curious to talk to you about. I think of you every time this comes up in conversation. Oh boy. Uh, if we consider pop culture to f uh, ultimately be an algorithm for finding out what people are entertained by, mm -hmm. and we accidentally cause pop culture to be the, the, like learning data set for AI that doesn't know the difference between entertainment 
and our desire to manifest a reality, then it could literally be just the data set that causes Terminator to happen because at some point, some like persuasion algorithm goes, man, they sure seem to love that. They've made six of these movies, even though they keep being progressively worse. <laughs> like they must love the idea yeah. of this robot overlord outcome for their, yeah. for their society. We better manifest that. <laughs> Look, I'll, I'll give it. So one, you're right. I agree. That's a thing. That's a problem. Two, I'll go a step backwards. The problem is that people today are there. Um, it's, it's, so I talk with people about this constantly. Um, there is such a widespread belief that the biggest existential risk problems, we just can't do anything about it. And then you get fuckheads who make films uh, about impending existential risk in which meaningful people fall prey to the worst versions of themselves and coordination failures rule the day and we die in annihilation. And then you, and then you release that you get really handsome people and really beautiful people to star in it. And you put it on Netflix and you release it in the holidays. And now you've got a bunch of folks sitting at home saying, I know I don't have to care. I know I don't need to try. Why would I like, I've seen the film. I know how this goes. And it didn't have to go that way. The replication of those ideas and those constructs self-reinforces and auto-generates that future. And our biggest cultural failure, I think this will be like what will be carved in our cosmic tombstones was they didn't take this seriously. Not the existential risk. They didn't take the power of fiction seriously. They didn't take storytelling seriously. And they did. They used to. Back in the day, the anxious apes took storytelling really seriously. And then the great wars happened and the McKinseyification of reality happened in which everything has turned into like science process, finance and, and like automaticity. And there's no more room for narrative unless the narrative can be like packaged and sold. But we used to take the storytelling and the, the magical properties of the storytelling as a way to say, this is the shape of things to come. And the telling of the story is the, the, the spell we cast to make the things go that way. We used to take that more seriously and we don't anymore. And that's the thing that pisses me off because we have the ability to make good futures and tell stories of good futures that touch the parts of us that seek truth and beauty. And instead we do the opposite. We get, we get movies about asteroids and everybody dying and you get a well, lot of people at home who just say, like, I knew it. I fucking knew it. I knew I shouldn't care. It's it's hard. Well, so it's hard in this context to not then slide down the sort of uh, rhetorical slippery slope of, and I don't mean rhetorical as in it doesn't exist. I mean rhetorical as in the slippery slope having to do with rhetoric of yep. of talking about tribalism and and religion and the things that those have caused in the world like it makes a lot of sense that we are wary of 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 spell casting as the way that you manipulate human behavior basically yep yep but it's a thing that has to be taken seriously and i guess i don't know the place it ends up that's that's too deep for right now and maybe we talk about it next week i don't know it depends on how spicy we're feeling is like 
that has to be taken seriously by the journalists. It's why the freedom of speech is so critical to the U.S. experiment. We've just yeah. fucked that all up by this idea that we need, quote, fair and balanced coverage, even if one side is is operating in bad faith. Because yeah, we're feeding this, this, this meme machine with bad faith narratives for personal mm-hmm. gain, literal personal gain, not our personal gain, but the personal gain mm-hmm. of oligarchs. Um, because we all think everything's supposed to be fair. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll, give, it, I'll give you the, I'll give you the, the, not the, like, not to do the, like, think boy, angry old man, shake fist, get off my lawn thing. But, um, we're still looking for voices on every side of the table that are defined by optimism and a belief in the better versions of ourselves and our neighbors and everyone is miserable at this one side throws a shit fit over the green m&m and the other side can't find the fun in anything and has like normalized being a sad post-intellectual think person as like the only sweet and proper thing and they're both equally miserable in their own high dimensional nonsense ways. And we we've lost the ability to, to look at things and say like, yeah, but I, I found the thing that's not worth getting angry about. I found the thing worth getting overjoyed about that is good and is, is worth sprinting towards as opposed to desperately screaming. You should run away from this thing and get angry at it where we need to find our, our things we're getting attracted to. And, and I think and the, the good future we seek. And I think I found the way that we put a bow on it to wrap our narrative here, which is some of that behavior on both sides of that spectrum is motivated by the idea that you have to have a perfect answer and you don't. Mm. All we have to do is defeat the cognitive biases and make better biases (laughs) like the normalcy bias of it and make good enough decisions. And we make it out of this. That's the reason to be optimistic. It's not because you dream of some idyllic future and that will come to exist someday. It's because as long as you keep gunning for that and just make good enough decisions, like we'll be okay. But you have to acknowledge the horrifying things and then try to make good enough decisions. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and maybe that's it. Maybe that the last (laughs) word is never allowed to be anyway. Shit's wrecked back, back after the commercial break. It has to be shit's wrecked. We're going to make it. We're going to find a way to make it. Here's our first step. We're talking about step two when we come back. Also, get vaccinated. (laughs) Also, get vaccinated. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for another one, everybody. We'll catch you later. Come back next week.